Whenever I look at a passage of Scripture, the very first question that I always have is, why is this included in the text? What particular function or role does it have? The Word of God tells us that if all the things that Jesus said and done, if they were all recorded, the worlds could not contain what should be written. With that in mind, then I often wonder about certain events, certain circumstances as to why they are included. As we first look at this particular portion of Scripture, uh, I personally don't see anything just jumping out at us as being particularly unusual or exciting or dramatic. In fact, it's a passage that at first sight seems rather ho-hum. Jesus healing yet another two blind individuals. And you almost wonder, why is this included in a section that deals with Jesus' triumphal entry? He's leaving Jericho in order to go to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer and die there. And he's having this incredible entry. Well, why this almost seemingly an aside almost an excursion into something less relevant. Why does it tell us that uh, these events took place? Well, I submit to you that they are here to reveal to us something more about Jesus and his kingdom. So what does it reveal to us about Jesus and his kingdom? Remember, Jesus has told his disciples that he is going to have a kingdom, they are going to rule over 12, sit on 12 thrones, ruling over the tribes of Israel. The mother of James and John had come requesting that Jesus would allow them to sit on the left hand and on the right in his kingdom. He said that that wasn't his but his father's to give, but said that they had an incorrect view of the kingdom, that they were coming to serve, not to be served. It's in that context that we have this narrative before us concerning these two blind men. I don't have a particular outline this morning. Rather, I'm just going to take a a narrative approach of this uh, passage to uh, see what it has for us. First, we're going to look at the crowd. Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho on their way to Jerusalem, verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, Jesus had already informed the disciples of what would take place in Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 19, it said this, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and will be raised on the third day. So they're on their way to Jerusalem for these horrific events to take place in the life of Jesus and ultimately for him to be resurrected. Two things are told to us about this crowd. First, the crowd was large. Tells us in verse 29 that it was a a great crowd. This, of course, is the time of the Passover. The Passover was one of three pilgrim feasts In the Word of God, the other pilgrim feasts were the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Booths. Pilgrim feasts 
were feasts in which people were to leave their houses, their homes, wherever that was in the nation of Israel, and they were to travel to Jerusalem, to the temple, in order to worship there. And so a great many people would have been on that road traveling to Jerusalem. The highways would have been congested. Again, the road would have been filled with people this kind of year. Just as uh, in recent days, the Pope came to Philadelphia and the congestion of the roads was immense. Well, it would have been something like that. These roads wouldn't have been made to handle such kind of traffic. But secondly, we are told that the crowd is following Jesus. Notice verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. Now, what does that mean, a great crowd followed him? Well, it could mean that Jesus is at the head of this great procession. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, we're given a little more detail, and it says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. So there are crowds before Jesus and there are crowds after Jesus. So it isn't necessarily his placement that we're to center. It isn't just that we're to think about here is Jesus leading a large procession, although I think that is taking place, but there are people before him and there are people after him. Rather than position, it's talking about a relationship that they have to Jesus. There were a large group of people that were following Jesus in the sense that they had an affinity to Jesus. They were not merely co-sojourners on their way to Jerusalem. They weren't simply accompanying Jesus. These weren't just people that Jesus was mingling with as they were all traveling to Jerusalem to worship and to celebrate the Passover. Rather, the text wants to show us that there is some kind of affinity to Jesus by many of those individuals. The crowd was following Jesus, whatever that means. To follow Jesus. I say whatever that means because it has a, a large span of different kinds of relationships that the people had to Jesus. Some followed knowing a lot about Jesus. Some followed not knowing much about Jesus. We read nothing in this text about motivation. We read nothing in this text about degree of commitment. The crowd is a bit of an enigma me. Now, we could go to some other parallel passages to try to find out some of those things, but I want to stick with our text, for that is what uh, we are to glean in this particular book. Simply stated that the crowd is following Jesus. Now, enter the blind men. We are to reflect on these two blind men. Verse 30, and it says, and behold, There were two blind men. Behold, there were two blind men. We had a speaker at our ministerial convention this past week, and he did a a nice job of talking about the importance of the word behold in the scriptures. And uh, he likened it. He said that uh, in the New Testament era, there was no such thing as italics, 
or underscoring or bold print or large fonts. Okay. If there was something that was to be drawn attention to, it was simply with the words, behold. Behold. Stop and think about this. Consider this. And quite frankly, I was very tempted uh, this week to skip these, these verses. I thought, you know, we, we've gone over this stuff pretty much. Uh, there's not much new here. I'm just going to continue on. But uh, I've got this conviction about the, the Word of God that says it deserves its, its hearing. And uh, so I thought, okay, you know, it says, behold, stop, consider this. And so that's what we're going to do. So the blind, mention of the blind man is not as curses. It's not some superfluous detail. Some people, when they tell stories, you know, they, they tell you a whole bunch of stuff you don't need to know. They just kind of wander around, and you wish they'd get to the point. Well, this isn't just uh, the book of Matthew, with Matthew uh, kind of wandering in his details of uh, the triumphal entry. No, there, there's significance here. Significance here. This story serves as an important lesson concerning the nature of Jesus' kingship, his humility and humble service. In that sense, there is much here just as there is on Jesus entering the city on a donkey, which we are going to consider soon. But the beggars were merely sitting beside the road, verse 30. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. They were not part of the crowd. They were not on their way to Jerusalem. They were not followers of Jesus. They were simply sitting alongside of the road, presumably as they did every day. They did what blind men did in that era, and that was beg. There were no social Outlets for such individuals, there were no way for them to be able to obtain a living. There were no social programs in order to alleviate their hardships or difficulties. So they would sit beside the road and beg, hoping that someone would have mercy upon them. But what was different this day is that they heard that Jesus was passing by, verse 30. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they crowd out. People must have been making a commotion. As they were sitting by the roadside, the beggars could hear and sense that a large crowd was approaching. They would have been able to hear the people walking and most likely talking. They would naturally have wondered, what's up? And they were told, for it says they heard, that Jesus was approaching. Perhaps... The crowd was already shouting, as they were in Matthew 21, 9. The crowds that went before him, they followed him shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Perhaps, but I don't think so. And I'm going to say more about that in just a few moments. According to the text, they simply heard that Jesus was passing by. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, nothing about his title, nothing about his kingship, they just heard that Jesus was passing by. 
But hearing that prompted the blind men to shout out to Jesus. Verse 30. They cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. What is striking in the text is not that they cried out, but how they addressed Jesus. They addressed Jesus as the son of David. The title, Son of David, appears 68 times in the Gospels. It's not very common in the book of Matthew, however. Matthew does open with the statement, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In Matthew chapter 9, you don't need to turn there, but there is another healing of occasion. Another time when two blind men were healed. This is a different situation than ours in Matthew chapter 20. And it reads as follows. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he therefore entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. The title, Son of David, refers to Jesus' rightful claim to kingship over Israel. The angel had come to Mary and said, He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. That is the significance of the title, Son of David. It was a title that referred to his rightful authority as king over Israel. He was a descendant of David. This is all about Christ's kingship, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, as you will. So I, I say to you, what came first? The shouts of the crowd or the shouts of the blind men? The first reference chrono- chronologically in the text is that of the blind men referring to Jesus as the son of David. So my question is this. Who was teaching whom? Did the blind men hear the crowd shouting, Hosanna, the son of David? Or did the blind men hear, excuse me, did the blind men shout, Hosanna, well, Have mercy upon me, the son of David. Did the crowd learn that Jesus was the son of David from the blind men? And then, of course, the third alternative is that they learned it independently of each other. They just both knew it. We can't say it, we can't answer that definitively. But again, I would say to you that the first mention 
of Jesus being the son of David is out of the mouths of the blind men, not out of the mouths of the crowd. And if that has any significance, and I believe that it does, then the narrative of the blind men is very important because it serves a particular role in the narrative. And that is that they become the primary teaching agent to the crowds. It's obvious as we move on, the crowds don't get who Jesus really is. When they are questioned, and we'll look at that in future weeks, most of the crowd doesn't know. And so I submit to you that one of the primary functions in this passage is the informing theology that Jesus is the son of David. And they hear it from these blind men. So then, how would these blind men have known that Jesus was the son of David? Well, the text that I read earlier from Matthew chapter 9, of the healing of two blind men, Jesus charging them not to tell anyone who he was. And uh, yet, we find that He said, uh, see that no one knows about it. But they went and spread his fame through all that district. And it is they who refer to Jesus as the son of David. I think it's most likely that these men were a part of a blind community. And word spread rapidly when two of their members had been healed by Jesus, the son of David. For these blind men know that Jesus can heal them. These blind men know that Jesus is the son of David. And these blind men cry out. What the blind beggars asked for was mercy. Notice verse 30. It says, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us, son of David. There's a difference between mercy and grace. Both are unmerited. Both are undeserved. But the motivation behind each is different. Grace says nothing about the condition that a person is in who receives grace. So this morning, if I were a gracious individual, I might decide to give everybody who is here this morning $100. If I would, it would be undeserved. You wouldn't have done anything to earn it. I would not owe it to you. It would be just the goodness of my heart that I would distribute $100. That's grace. It says nothing about the condition. Somebody could be here this morning who's incredibly rich and having another $100 is just an annoyance. Now, what am I going to do with another one of these? Somebody could be here this morning who is in desperate need and $100 would mean the world to them. Grace says nothing about the condition. Mercy talks about the condition of the individual. Mercy 
is a result of compassion. It's a result of pity. Of pity. It is taking into consideration a person's plight. And so a person may be gracious to another individual because they need the $100 so desperately. That is mercy. So they are crying out to Jesus, have mercy on us. Have pity on us. Think about our condition. Think about our state. Think about our lifestyle. Have mercy upon us. The crowd showed no mercy to the blind beggars. In fact, quite the opposite. Instead of showing mercy, the crowd found fault with the beggars, presumably for bothering Jesus. Notice verse 31. The crowd rebuked them. Rebuked them. It is a word for censure. They found fault. These blind men shouldn't be calling out to Jesus. They saw that as inappropriate, unacceptable. Shouldn't happen. It's not right, as they viewed it. Presumably, they are saying that this is a very important person. Don't you know who Jesus is? And you are bothering Jesus. It's a statement about the kind of king that Jesus is. One who came not to be served, but to serve. And the crowd sought to silence the men. Verse 31. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But the beggars would not be dissuaded at all, but persistently just shouted out more and more and more loudly. Verse 31. But they cried out all the more. They wouldn't be dissuaded. Thirdly, Jesus shows himself to be far different from the crowd and a very unique king. First, Jesus takes time to stop. Matthew 20, 32. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? As I think about the triumphal entry, and we're going to talk about this more in weeks to come, I just found uh, the people's reaction to the Pope coming to the United States. There, there are many lessons to be learned from people's reaction. It helps us to understand, I think, a little bit of what's going on even in this, this text. It was interesting to me to see all the positive uh, news that was surrounding the Pope's visit. Nothing negative was said. I think that, that's true. Crowds were huge. And there were snippets of when the Pope would stop and pick up a child and kiss it. Or that time that the Pope stopped and took into arms a child that was had limitations, had, had physical problems. And that made the headlines. Because the Pope stopped what he was doing and where he was going and took time to pick up that child. Well, there's somebody greater than the Pope here. And he stops for these two blind men. 
Secondly, he summons the beggars. Jesus called them. Jesus gave them an audience with a king. Now, that may not sound like some great thing to you, but remember in the Old Testament, Book of Esther, even the queen could not come into the presence of the king uninvited. Even the king's wife couldn't come into the presence of the king uninvited. If she did, she was risking her life. If he wouldn't accept her, she would die. Jesus summons these two blind beggars into his presence. Jesus asked them what they want him to do. Verse 32, stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, one might think that that's a no-brainer. Okay, it's obvious. Uh, What a stupid question. What do you want me to do? However, not so. Remember, these are two blind beggars sitting by the wayside. Presumably what they did every day. Crying out for people to have mercy upon them, people to have compassion upon them. And what were they expecting? Money. Money. They were expecting someone to give them something. Here's Jesus. Have mercy upon us, O son of David. What do you want me to do for you? They didn't cite a sum of money. They didn't ask for a particular kind of care. They asked something of him that they had not asked of anybody else. They asked him to heal him. That's notable. That shows their faith and trust in Jesus, who he is and what he's able to do. He's a king like no other king. Remember the story in the Old Testament, the story of Naaman, a leper, and uh, a king couldn't heal him. In fact, thought that this was a a way of trying to bring about war in his, his kingdom. Ask him to do something that was impossible for him to do. Here, this king is like no other king. They ask Jesus to heal them. They believed that he could. Verse 33, they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And in fact, Jesus could give them sight, verse 34. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. So point number four, Jesus responds to the blind beggars and reveals two very important things about himself. The first is that Jesus has pity upon them, verse 34. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes. Literally, Jesus reached out to them. It's impressive. Sometimes people just want to touch celebrities. You ever see concerts and the person's up there performing and people are reaching out and they come by and they just slap their hand or or something and and just acknowledge their presence. They, They want to be touched by a celebrity, by somebody that's important. Again, the Pope 
just to bless someone, put their hand upon them. But it doesn't just have to be celebrities. There's something comforting about a touch. Many times I'm in situations where I don't know what to say. Funerals, people in heartache and misery. I I don't have a great word of wisdom. I I don't know how to remove people's pain. I, I don't know what to say. And many times in those situations I just put my hand on their shoulder. It's meant to be an expression of I'm here, I care. It's the best I can do. But for Jesus to reach out and touch them was a demonstration of care that goes far, far beyond that because, you see, he could heal them. He didn't need to touch them. All he had to do was speak. All he had to do was say, you're healed, and they would have been healed. There was no reason to touch them other than the fact that he had pity on them. The fact that they probably were viewed by unclean by others and had been ostracized. Jesus reaches out and he touches them. And then, of course, he actually healed them. The response of the blind man says they recovered their sight and followed him. Our text tells us in verse 34 that immediately they followed Jesus. Immediately they followed Jesus. They, they got in the pro- procession and they went after Jesus. There are so many other things they could have done. They could have gone home. They could have talked to loved ones. They could have, who knows? There are so many other things that they could have done with their newfound sight but instead they follow Jesus. So here's the conclusion. First, the crowd had no pity on the blind men, even though they were followers of Jesus. They had no pity. Jesus did. Because Jesus had pity on the blind men, the crowd witnessed one of Jesus' miracles. A lot in that crowd would not have seen a miracle performed by Jesus. Now they did. Because Jesus had pity on this blind man, they learned more of what it meant that Jesus was the son of David, that he was the king. They learned more about his kingship. They learned more about his kingdom. And so... One of the applications is, what do we miss out on in failing to be compassionate to others? What do we fail to learn about Jesus by failing to be compassionate to others? These blind men would not be discouraged from exercising their faith and trust in Jesus. What discourages us? from exercising faith and trust in Jesus. Sometimes even fellow believers. The blind men now also become followers of Jesus. What better followers? What deeper and richer followers than these? How appropriate it is 
that these individuals become followers of Jesus. How often it is that people receive compassion, mercy, grace, answers to prayer, answers to prayer, when people call out to Jesus for help, for mercy, for compassion. And when he shows mercy and compassion and grace, and yet people then fail to follow him. How sad. This passage is to teach us that we have a great king, a merciful king, a king who came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve. A king who invites us to have an audience with him. Let us come boldly, therefore, under the throne of grace, that we may find grace and help in a time of need. May we call out to him. And as he shows his mercy to us, as we experience his pity, may we follow him as he deserves. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your grace and goodness to us. Thank you for the mercy and pity of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the way in which he's had mercy upon us. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. Thank you, Lord, that sometimes even when fellow believers have been indifferent to us, you have not. May we not allow others to dissuade us from our faith and trust in you. Oh, Lord, teach us more of what it means that you are the son of David. Lord, give us a greater confidence in your kingship in our relationship to you. Help us to be deeper, more committed, knowledgeable followers of the Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.